Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you're listening or watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, as well as hitting the like button and the notification bell so you never miss a video. If you prefer audio format, search Gifted Performance on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting service and subscribe today. Make sure you also rate and review the podcast as that helps us out tremendously. Enjoy the podcast and stay gifted. Welcome back, guys. Another episode. No, can't say guys. We went over this on the last one. Welcome back, gal pals. To Why another. is it party people? Because I prefer gal pals. That's party gender neutral. Is your thing. What? Gender neutral party people. You're right. You're right. Party pals. Party gal pals. Gal Ooh. party pals. There's many options. Leave leave your favorite in the comments below. But we're back for another episode of the GPP, the Gifted Performance Podcast, where we give you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness for life, for the gym, for everything. We're here for you. An episode, specifically episode number two. Guys, we made it through episode one. We didn't get kicked off the airway after episode one. So that's a beautiful thing. We're back. The Women's Podcast. It is I, resident woman. That's how I'm introducing every single one of them with my two pals here. We got GP Jimmy and Jessica Lifestyle Lee. I like that nickname. It's really good. I was watching it back on the last episode. Made me laugh, so I'm sticking with it forever. Today, we've got a Q&A episode. Is there anything on the front end of this little podcast that you guys want the people to know before we uh, move on? Um, you and I plan to match. We did. Yes, 100%. Jess. Clearly, I didn't get the memo. memo. What the hell? Ignored the memo. Orange. You sent it to the wrong email, man, because I didn't get no memo. You know what it was? It was Lee with two E's. So our favorite (laughs) cake-baking young Asian woman, she's wearing orange today, but Jess is not. Um, Damn it. All right. We won't we won't uh, we won't fully debut it today, but just so you guys know, so you gals know, uh, Jess is working on something very special in the works for you guys um, that we think that you will enjoy quite a bit. And we'll leave it there. That'll be our cliffhanger for the day. Shall we do some questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. The first question comes from some dickhead, some real asshole. At, I don't know who this guy think he thinks he is. The underscore squat father. Uh, do you think he invents the squat? Does he show up at your house and, and squat your dad for money? I think it's probably the second one. That's like the a father weird, squatter. Yeah, it's like a weird fetish domination kind of thing where you watch him squat your dad. But the squat father asks how to order smart when eating out. So we'll say in like a dieting context, in a fat loss or a weight loss context, what is your order of operations when ordering out if you're trying to be smart? And we'll kick things off with Jess. All right. So what I like to keep in mind when I'm going out to eat is that majority of the time um, calories are going to be probably twice as much with that meal. Um, just because a lot of times restaurants will use oils and stuff to prep their food. Um, so you have to keep that in mind as well. Uh, so with that being said, when I'm ordering certain things like um, vegetables and stuff, I always try to. I Are you talking to me, Ryan? You're moving your lips. Uh, Lexi was. Lexi was oh. delivering me coffee. So I was thanking her. Everyone say thank, thank you, you, Lexi. 
Um, Go back to it. Yes. What was I saying? So when I'm ordering certain things, like I try to ask, like I make sure that they don't put butter on it and stuff like that or order things like dry um, to eliminate those extra calories that are kind of like hidden in there that you wouldn't really think about. Um, and then usually I'll stick to a like lean type, uh, piece of meat and then some type of vegetable. And then for a carbohydrate, I'll do like a wrap or a plain potato or rice if they have it. Um, just to kind of keep it simple. I feel like the simple, simpler you go with it, um, you, you can stay pretty safe within calorie wise. How do you deal, a follow-up question here, how do you deal yep. with people who may be inclined or they want to enjoy, whether it be, let's, let's, tackle, let's tackle dessert first. So how do you deal with folks that want to also have a dessert while they're out? What are the, what are the kind of stipulations that you give them? Um, that's a good question, actually. So usually, if that's the case, I feel like there's a couple ways you can go about it. You can get a really good, like, clean um, meal for dinner, kind of like what the example that I just gave, um, and then allow yourself, like, a little treat for dessert. Um, or if you really plan on just really enjoying yourself, then at that point, you know, kind of just going towards more just having like a, I don't want to call it a cheat meal. We talked about this on the freaking Instagram. Discussed it. I know I don't want to call it a cheat meal. Um, but just allowing yourself to like enjoy, um, that meal altogether. I guess it also depends on like what the restaurant offers too. Sometimes some restaurants have like calorie friendly treats. Do you, do you treat that as like an untracked meal or do you try and have them track all of that? And if you do have them track it, what kind of, how do you tell them to go about that? Yeah. So usually, um, I would have them depending on how many meals they have in like their normal nutrition plan. I would usually have them take out, uh, or like save two meals for that meal out again, going back to, um, the extra calories that you get just from eating out because of all like the stuff they add into it when prepping the food, um, just to stay on the safe side, I usually say, um, save two meals for that meal. That's going to be out to eat. Um, and hopefully you can get a little bit of a balance in there. So you're not over calories too much. Now, how about something like, uh, like alcohol? Like if they want to have, you know, a couple glasses of wine or a drink, how do you factor that in? Um, usually with alcohol, I'll have them take, um, like cut carbs a little bit more, um, if that makes sense to kind of make up for, um, alcohol consumption for females. I usually suggest, um, I always say stick with like one glass of wine, um, and then usually just go that way. So is there any, so what if, what if I don't want to go with, with wine? Is there a, is there a hard alcohol equivalent? Um, I usually say like a clear type of, um, like alcohol, like vodka mixed with something like vodka and like a diet would be one that I've gone to. Um, I personally don't drink as much, so I, I don't really have all the creations like up my sleeve, but usually something along those lines. 
Can you give us like a basic kind of breakdown of why it is that when we go out drinking, the calories add up so quick and it's so easy to kind of undo an entire week of, of fat loss dieting with one night of drinking? Yeah, because I think people don't realize that like all the calories that are actually in alcohol, um, I think that, you know, people just assume that um, if they stick with something that's not like usually with like the fruity drinks, you can kind of assume like they're adding syrups and stuff to it. So you kind of put two and two together that there's like more sugar and more calories. Um, but even in, um, you know, just like your simple drinks like a simple glass of wine or like like I said like even like a shot mixed with something you're still getting calories in that I don't think people necessarily take into consideration and then they eat on top of it and it's just like a whole cascade of caloric intake so here's what you do you go to the bar you say I would like and you can charge me whatever you'd like for this an entire cup of vodka with no ice you pull the mio out of your purse you that give that vodka a couple a couple squirts of uh, of mio, preferably like a blue color or a blue flavor. Is that a thing? Blue flavor? Yeah, I mean, there's blue flavored Gatorade. A blue flavor. Get it in there. Mix it up so it's nice and blue. Tastes acceptable. And also later when you're vomiting, because you're for sure going to be vomiting if that's how you're going about your drinking, you can really scare your significant other or the person that you just went on a date with, went home with by vomiting up pure, just just blue liquid. I've seen it far too many times. I was going to say, are you speaking from experience? I am speaking from the <laughs> amount of people that I have seen do exactly that at the fine establishment in Orlando known as the Knights Pub. Everyone stop by the Knights Pub. Um, I'm sure they've got a special tonight that's free drinks all night, no cover, just vomit wherever you want, let the security guards clear, clean it up. It's always been the rule. Um, Jimmy, from an anecdotal experience of you know traveling quite a bit while fat loss dieting, while contest prep dieting, what were some what are some tips and tricks that you might have for the people that you were successful with over the years? Um, I always stuck with like a very simple meal when I went out because especially like when you have girlfriends, I always traveled with girlfriends when I was coaching. They'd always like, Oh, like we have to pick a specific restaurant or like, and you can't eat anything. And that's not the truth. Like every place that you go to pretty much has like grilled chicken breast and a salad. So I always said, grilled chicken on a salad, salsa as a dressing. And like, I made it through two straight years of traveling six months out of the year with just eating that meal. It's boring. Like you're not going to have like a lot of fun when you're going out. But like, if you're committing yourself to a diet and you're like, especially if you're contest prepping, that's just kind of how it is. Um, also like if you look at food when you're going out the same way as you look at food when you're at the house, like you start with your protein and you try to figure out like what's the leanest protein that I can order out like if you get a I learned like the hard way about turkey burgers at restaurants like the turkey that they use at a restaurant is not like your 99 lean ground turkey it's like they're pretty much 50 50 it's like worse than their beef half the time so if you stick to things that you absolutely know no matter how they prepare it are going to be like pretty low calorie like I don't like it but like tilapia is usually like a white or like grouper like a white general fish and you can like I know everyone's always scared to ask the waitresses, but like coming from a waitress's perspective, like ask them as many questions as you feel necessary. Like, how do you cook this? Is there another way that you can prepare it? I've had people like 
friends that I've been out with like say how embarrassing it is, but like it's my food choice. I need to know. So if you ask like how they prepare their vegetables, like Jess said, like most of the time they like fry it or butter everything. If you ask them to like boil your fish, they probably will. Um, if you ask them to boil your shrimp, they probably will. Um, if you ask them to prepare your chicken with no oil, like they'll work for you with you because you are the customer and it's their goal is to like make you as happy as possible. So asking as many questions as possible is a good tip, even if you feel uncomfortable. And you can preface it. I used to preface it like the same way. I would say like, hey, I have a lot of questions, but like I have a ton of dietary restrictions. I just want to make sure that like everybody's on the same page. And I've sent food back a couple of times like and it's not fun in the moment but later on you're like okay well I'm very thankful that I did that or I would have had x amount of extra calories um but sticking to like one solid meal that you know you can get everywhere is very helpful because then it kind of eliminates the stress of like going out and looking at the menu ahead of time it kind of makes you look like the crazy person in the group but if you're like scrolling down the menu and you see like oh they have a grilled chicken dish with broccoli and you're like all right now no more stress like I don't have to be the person who doesn't eat when we go out or something simply also one other sorry silly one the portion like the side portion cups that you get at most restaurants are exactly two ounces so I used to do this like crazy thing where I would like put other things in the portion I would just ask for a side cup all the time just an empty one I would put certain things like if I wanted to have olives because I learned the hard way that olives have fat a long long time ago but I love olives so I'd put like six or seven olives in like a little portion cup. And I'd be like, all right, that's pretty close to two ounces. So even if it was like a general idea of what I could log, it was better than not logging it or just completely free guessing. And same with like dressings, they'll come in like a two ounce cup. So you can like, at least if you ask for the dressings on the side, you can say, okay, that was two ounces of ranch. And like most ranch at every place is the same calories, just ranch. But those are my... Crazy tips. I like I'm those glad, tips. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned do your research because that's a big one. Just like looking at the menu beforehand eliminates that like stressful moment where you're there and then you have to like really kind of pour over the menu to be like, oh man, what can I, what can I make work? Um, and it can kind of send, super weird to say this, but it can send like the message to the people that you're with that you're not like sitting over there obsessing over the menu you've got your selection like oh you saw it you picked it they're not like oh look at annie or look at jess over there like staring at the menu for 30 minutes trying to figure out what that what they can eat um one other suggestion that i tend to give my clients is i tell them to over log whatever they had so if they think that they had you know four ounces of salmon uh you know a, a six ounce potato with i don't even know uh, a cup of broccoli I just tell them to overlog all that by about 25%. So log the four ounces of salmon as six ounces of salmon, uh, log the potato as an eight ounce potato, and then overlog the broccoli a little bit because that can kind of account for some some differences in portions size. But one thing, and I'd like to get your guys' thought on, thoughts on this. One thing that I've always found weird is that like, it's super strange to me that people think like, I'm going out to dinner with my friends the idea, the premise is I'm going out to spend time with my friends, but all of the focus is around the food. It's like people treat it like I'm going out to get food and my friends will also be there. 
Like you're yeah. going out for the experience of spending time with your friends. Don't let the food be the focus. Let the food be an afterthought in I get to spend the next two and a half hours socializing with my friends that I haven't seen for a while and enjoying their company. Do you think, think that, that kind of reversal helps out? Well, I think that if, especially like if you're planning this far enough in advance where you can wake up and go, all right, we're going to Applebee's tonight. I always get the oh, Applebee's yeah. margarita. I'm going to log that right now. Everything that I eat from here on out is going to be around that Applebee's margarita. Um, because I really want that, I'm going to do a grilled chicken salad with uh, no dressing or just vinegar as a dressing because, again, like I want to enjoy my friend's margarita happy hour. We're celebrating. Um, so like doing your research and planning in advance will kind of lend you some more time to hang out with your friends versus like, well, I don't even know if I could fit this margarita now. Now I'm sad. Like everyone's drinking. I might as well just drink. Fuck it. Like I already ruined it. Like might as well also get a cake. I used to do, in 2012, I got really, really lean, and I was going out and getting blacked out drunk once a week, and I used to do exactly that. I would wake up on Friday knowing what was going to happen that evening. I was going to have roughly 12 ounces of vodka, because I had planned out that I was going to take eight shots of vodka. Um, I knew that I was going to have one cup of noodles, shrimp-flavored, I was going to have one bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, and I was going to have one Arizona green tea. And the rest of my day became pretty sad in the food that I could arrange, which was fine, because the goal was to get shit-faced drunk. So by not eating much food earlier on in the day, I could guarantee that that night, you know, warped, uh, warped priorities here, I was going to get hammered off those eight shots of vodka. Well, all right. How's that? How's that for functional behavior? And this is your practical takeaway. Don't eat all day. That's how you do it. (laughs) Don't alcohol at 8 a.m. And go out. I was so dumb at the time. I would wake up on, like, Saturday morning, and I would go train. And, like, by Sunday, like, clockwork, I would be sick every week. I'm like, I don't know why I get sick on Sundays. Like, blackout on Friday, wake up on Saturday, first thing, train super hard. How's my immune system feeling? Not too great. Why am I sick on Sunday? I don't know. Doesn't make sense. Different type of practical takeaway here. Jess, another question for you that goes on this. How do you deal with clients who, let's say they do go out to dinner, and maybe they make some choices that aren't super wise or aren't on the plan, and they feel the need to, like, quote, unquote, punish themselves that following day with additional cardio, low calories. What's the conversation with you have with a client like that? It's funny that you bring that up because I get that probably once a week from like someone will tell me like, oh, Jess, you know, because I ask when they check in, I'm like, okay, you know, how well did you follow the plan? Did you go out? What'd you have? That kind of thing. And it's crazy to me. Like sometimes I'll literally, I'll get like clients that will say like, oh, I had um, like a couple bites of like, you know, my husband's French fries when we went out or like they split something with me and I took a couple bites of it. And like, they consider that like a, um, like a cheat or like kind of like really going off of plan. And then the next day they're like, so I increased my cardio on this day to make up for, and it's just like, 
if I could just like be there in the moment and just like sit with them and just let them know, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily work this way. You don't have to kill yourself because you had a couple bites of something. Um, Say that again. It's only French fries. Right. And like two French fries, you're going to be just fine. It does. It really just doesn't work that way. But I think, I don't know, like at the end of the day, those types of conversations come down to, um, kind of just like me reminding the client to like mentally check in with themselves and not be so hard on themselves if they gave into a temptation because at the end of the day a lot of the clients that I work with are like lifestyle right like I don't really have a lot of competitors or athletes so having those moments where you choose you know going back to like choosing memories with friends over calories per se to me, I'm a lot more happier for the client, not even going to lie, if they chose that and they enjoyed their time with someone that was special versus me having to hear how they're beating themselves up and feel absolutely terrible because they might have made a choice that wasn't necessarily, you know, on their plan. I think that's like, it stems from that whole calories in versus calories out idea it's just like it's true to an extent but like I think some people get that into their head they're like I had six bites I need to take six steps and like then they wake up the next morning they're like all right I had 11 french fries now I need to do I'm gonna do the math on 11 french fries and now I have to go do the stairmaster for however many calories 11 french fries were but it does again doesn't work like that in a little bit does but so when I see this being an issue is that when it corresponds with an increase on the scale the next day if the scale doesn't go up the next day they don't give a shit if it goes down the next day they're like oh my god it's magic and then they're like mm-hmm. ryan holy crap i ate out and i like enjoyed some of my husband's french fries and my weight went down and i'm like you know why that is it's because i'm i'm a magician i studied at hogwarts and you need to pay me more so then we increase their rates and we go from there but if they if they gain weight that next day that's usually when they're the most upset they're like Ryan, you know, I went out, I had some food that wasn't on the plan. I'm up three pounds. And the way I like to rationalize it with them is I like to math it out. And I say, okay, we start with the basic premise of one pound gained equals 3,500 calories over maintenance. So if you were three pounds up that next day, that would be equivalent to 10,500 calories over maintenance for that given day. And I'll say, do you think that those six French fries that you stole from your husband's plate were 10,500 calories? And they're like, no, that's insane. And I'm like, okay, given that that is insane and not a plausible scenario, what do you think those three pounds of weight gain actually are? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's probably water weight. It might be like extra food in my stomach because I didn't go to the bathroom this morning. Like, see, now we're at a point where these things make sense. Hydrate, go take a poopy. And I promise you those three pounds will be gone within the next couple of days. And then I get a text 72 hours later and they're like, holy crap, not only did I lose those three pounds, I'm down an extra one as well. And then we've basically alleviated all of that stress with everyone's favorite math. <laughs> I love it. No, but that's just it. It's, and now that you bring it up, it really is that like where I'll have a client that will they'll weigh themselves that next morning. And because they're up in weight, it's like this whole number thing where they just like freak out and they're like, Oh my gosh, I totally ruined everything. Cause I'm up a few pounds. But at the end of the day, like you just said, like your explanation was perfect. Like that. It doesn't really work that way. You're just holding on to stuff and you need to just let it. Yeah. Work let it go. Out. 
<laughs> yeah, let it go. Work itself out. But then it kind of goes back to our first episode where we talked about how a lot of times females identify with like a number on the scale and how they look for, you know, their own validation within themselves. So it makes sense. All right, at the underscore squad father. Hopefully we answered your question up to par. I think you'll see that my answers were most agreeable to you and you'll you'll see the value in those the most. These other two here, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see um, their opinions line up with yours. But our next question comes from at Kelsey Hug 23. Um, it's a simple one. It just says dating while prepping question mark dating while prepping like is it a good idea i think that what she's saying is here like what are some tips on how to like be able to date during prep assuming that dating has some time requirements that will take you away from training cardio diet things like that i am not fucking touching this question with a 10-foot pole because my first prep was when i was 21 years old and my dating life was disgusting look at the dump look at a dumpster the bottom the dumpster juice that was my dating life at 21 it will not be mentioned and then i met this lovely woman right here who walked me through every prep from then on shaved my butt did all the important things that come with a bodybuilding prep but i'm interested to hear you guys some suggestions on how to manage dating while prepping for a bodybuilding show can i start with a story let's hear it yes please one of the very first birthdays that I had when Ryan and I were dating, we weren't really even like dating. We were just kind of like in that talking Fraternizing. stage. Um, but it had to be around your dumpster juice period of time because you were kind yes. of a dumpster human. Yeah. Um, but I had a birthday party at the zoo. And like, I remember I told him like three weeks in advance, I was like, it's just going to be like me and like a few friends. Like I've really wanted to go to the zoo for a long time. The day of, he goes, I can't because I have to train. I was like, okay, that's like, this is me. Like never done doing bodybuilding, like not really being super active. I was like, okay, it's probably gonna be like two hours, it's like 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. We'll be there for like a couple hours. He's like, I can't, I have to train. I was like, okay. Like do that first though. No, I have other things. Uh, and it was just like, it blew my mind. And he's like, well, there's nothing that could be anything for me to eat there. I was like, it's a zoo. There's like hot dogs, there's funnel cakes. There's all this cool, like really good stuff. And like all of my friends, I swear to this day, like we're, I'm going to one of their weddings. They're not still not going to let me live it down. They're like, he couldn't just like take like two days off or two hours off of like his training. Like, I was like, yeah, I guess it lasts all day. I don't really know. Like, I don't know anything about bodybuilding and I don't know. Uh, dieting or having the one person in a competition prep and one person who has no idea how one works, volatile, bad, toxic. I needed like a whole list of rules when we first started dating. So I knew what we could do. We like didn't actually go on a real date that didn't require us leaving the house for like a year because like he couldn't eat out, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Like could only be like a couple of hours of like us spending time together. And it was weird, but I made it this far. So eventually it got better. But if the other person is included and like has no idea how bodybuilding works, you guys need to have like a full on sit down, I'm going to write this out for you meeting. And like, unfortunately, if you're not really like willing to go to those lengths, then maybe dating while prepping is just not on the table for you. It's only like however many weeks you decided 
maybe you could just be alone for those couple of weeks. But (laughs) I know that sounds bad, but like it, it was a very confusing time in my life. I just didn't understand. Like it makes you think it's like all about like, there's something wrong with you because like they don't want to spend time with you when it really has nothing to do with you. It's like, it was mostly just that I had leg day, so you know priorities. Yeah, it had something to do with walking around. Also, like I can't really be walking around the zoo because of whatever. It was a lot. There was a lot of excuses. <laughs> and it was like, Jess, That's interesting. Let's All hear right, your so, advice. Yeah, like I haven't. Okay, so like I when I competed, I dated a guy, and I remember. He was just, like, very understanding of, like, my just having to prep. I remember that. Like, it was, like, not that big of a deal. Like, it was hard for me because, you know, if we went out to eat and stuff, like, I had to, like, maybe not eat anything or, like, get something completely different. And that was, like, the most challenging. But I think I probably lucked out in that moment in time because, like, I didn't really get a lot of, like, there wasn't, like, arguments about, like, that I had to go train or that I had to, like get a meal in or skip an event or whatever. Um, but I haven't like, so like I haven't really dated a guy that's been like a bodybuilder. So now it's kind of like, maybe I don't really deal with that kind of stuff. Like you were talking about Jimmy, but like, I don't know. Like I get like, my thing is because like my dietary preferences, I think that's where, um, I kind of struggle with if I'm like going out on dates and stuff because I don't have dairy. Like I just don't eat it. So like, that's the biggest thing is like going out and finding things that don't have dairy in them. And then having to explain to the other person, like, Oh, I don't eat it because I don't feel good if I don't eat it. And like that kind of stuff, but it's never really been, I think if you're just like open and you just like put it all out on the table, like this is what I have to do. This is what I prioritize. I understand. Like, and then if the roles are reversed, if they are like the bodybuilder or they're in prep and you're not, then like you said, you kind of have to just be on the same page with that and communicate and understand each other's um, like point of view with that situation. It's definitely like a communication like is key yeah. thing. I mean, in all relations, communi- relationships, communication is key, but like competition dieting also does so many things to your body where like, your body goes into like energy reserve mode. So you're like not moving, you're not talking, you're not doing a lot of things with each other. You literally can barely get out of bed, go to work, get home, eat. And like, at some point you get to like this autopilot point. Mm -hmm. And like, if your significant other isn't on the same page, it's going to feel like they hate you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to touch you. They don't want to even be in the same room with as you because like in their head right now, it's like all they want to think about is food. Um, yeah. from a long, long million years ago, we listened to a podcast of someone talking about how at the end of their diet, they would rather look at pictures of pizza than see their wife naked, like a hundred percent. And like that, do- it, it really does get to that point where, cause we did a really long bodybuilding prep one year. I don't remember how many months it was, but it took up like, it felt like a year and a half. And like, I think like we maybe high fived each other's in like the hallway. And that was like it. Cause like we didn't have the energy to do anything together, but it's a different dynamic when you guys are kind of both dieting. I don't know mm-hmm. if that is, if you're talking about dating another person who's prepping while you're also prepping, cause then that's going to be just maybe not also the best thing to do. Right. Well, I also think it's like under, like how long have you been dating the person too? Because if you, if you know the person pretty well, 
then you can kind of like if they're going through a prep and you know them on an emotional level, like on like a deeper emotional level, then you can kind of handle like that, like backlash or that wall that kind of gets put up when they're getting closer and closer to their show. And they're kind of just like tunnel vision and like zombie mode in a way. Um, I honestly, I think Dom would be, we, we should have talked to Dom about this because he's like how long out from a show? Like eight oh, days now? Yeah, seven. Like seven days. Exactly. So it's like, you know, and he's married. Like, I wonder like how they're, they go about that kind of stuff. Cause he's competed for a while. Like, so it's like, you know, I think if you know them really well, it can make it an easier phase to go through. But if you're just like, you stumble you. across someone that you know you just met and they're like almost going into a show then I can imagine that would be really difficult I think that if you're like I know I said this it probably doesn't sound very nice but like you are super committed to your dieting and your competition diet maybe just save dating for afterwards like if you're like look yeah. if you're single and looking for someone and you know that it's you are as committed as you can possibly be it, like having another excess stressor is not going to be helpful because dating is stressing like stressful in the beginning like regardless of if you're dieting or not like you're constantly trying to figure out like do they like me do they like me a lot are we talking are we dating is this whatever um you're already stressed out enough maybe just like wait your 12 weeks however many weeks you have and then start dating afterwards or like tell someone that you just recently met like hey this is gonna be a rough next couple of weeks I don't need to like take this as like my personal character um maybe we should just like keep talking about like reconvene all the other stuff all the dating like right after my show and I mean like 30 minutes after my show like I will feel 100% better but yeah right now that's a good point this um and that's just how it's got to be that's a good point it's not only stress that comes with the end of prep Mm -hmm. but it's also some there's like a level of impulsivity that comes with the end stages of a contest prep or the end stages of a diet in general. And when you are in that dieted down state and you are stressed out and you are a little bit impulsive, you may actually get yourself into a relationship that you don't want to be in when that contest prep concludes. So some people kind of gravitate more towards like a caretaker, like that's who they're looking for in a relationship. And at the end of a contest prep, that that can be even more the case to where like you're stressed out, you have so many things going on in your life, you're very impulsive and you latch on to an individual because they serve that caretaker role for you. And then contest prep concludes, the show is over, you no longer need that caretaker role in your life because things have kind of returned to normal, you're not stressed out, you're not hungry, you're not broken down hormonally anymore. And you look back and you're like, holy crap, like, I I don't like this person, like this person sucks. Like this person's annoying, like leave me alone, stop cooking my food for me, stop trying to drive me everywhere, like I'm fine now. And you might get yourself into a relationship or a situation that after you can kind of see clearly the prep goggles have been taken off, you're like, wait, hold on, this isn't what I was looking for at all. So yeah, I think Jimmy makes a good point that like at the end of prep, those end stages of a diet, biologically, you're not going to be like wired to make the smartest decisions in food, in like your social life and your love life, all of that. So like, let that fog clear up 
before you like get down on a knee and propose to someone because they said that they would bake your chicken for you and they would do it right and not add too much like seasoning. You know what I mean? I like how you That's said you great point. touched this the ten foot pole, but brought up a very very good point. I was gonna say that was like spot on. Just like throw the whole psychology at us, Brian. Like I mean, what the hell? Yeah. But that that, that makes so much sense. Professor of exercise psychology. Actually, I'm not allowed to call myself a professor. I got yelled at for that. Yeah, and it ripped it off your door, too. Yeah. Um, I had that on my door outside of my office when I was teaching at Kaiser. And some guy, like, came by my office and was like, uh, excuse me, you're not a PhD and you haven't done research in your field of study. So technically, you do not meet the definition of professor. You're an instructor. I was like, okay, dude, call me whatever the hell you want. Call me, call me Big Dick McGee's Ice Loft, if you'd like. That's what we can go with moving forward. He didn't like that name either. What I was going to say is I wonder if it like it's different on the male side also than the female side, than the way that like I've thought of it. Because I don't know. I don't know. I just wonder if it's different. It's the way that they look at dieting and relationships. From like an evolutionary biology standpoint, I think both in terms of like ability to form a relationship and procreate is pretty much shut down when energy availability gets low enough to where both male and female are not looking for a mate because biologically the signals that, yeah, biology, like your brain is just saying, hey, quit trying to put your dingling places and eat some food instead find some some fruits and some nuts instead and once your body fat rises up a little bit because i've seen that from from both sides of the coin men say they have no sex drive women say they have no sex drive so couples when they're you know prepping together it's like what jimmy said a simple like high five catch you on the down low as we pass each other in the hallway is is plenty that's (laughs) that's what that's uh prep brand intimacy right there maybe look at food porn together yeah, that did. It just our DMs used to just be like, oh, we should go eat this. I had a list in my phone at the end of my last diet that was like 65 things long. I think I ate like ended up eating like two things off of it. But anyway, what I was going to say is also when you're dieted down, at least for me, I'm like hyper emotional. Like I dropped a Skittle on the floor. It was my one Skittle that I was allowed to eat. Now I'm in tears. Now I can't go to work because I've been crying for an hour and a half. Like the end stage dieting for me is in like, when you're in a relationship and the other person like says something just very offhandedly about like your hair or your outfit or something and you're like, all right, day is completely ruined. Now I can't leave the house. Now I need to dye my hair. I need to shave it all off. Like very, very emotional. So like, especially if you first start dating someone in that like headspace and they just think you're crazy because you're crying all the time over like what seems like nothing or like they put butter on your broccoli when you guys were out to dinner and now it's like a full emotional breakdown because you can't eat the broccoli and you don't want to send it back. Like this person looks at you like we're you're really, in uh, We're really painting a very positive picture of contest prep here. Guys, remember, for all <laughs> your contest say. prep needs, come on down to Gift of Performance where we can guide you through this torture in the most effective and quote-unquote fun way but possible. But people to talk to who've been through it. You need to reach yeah. out. Like, you want to talk about your crazy episodes? Like, I got more. I got, you want to hear, like, we yeah. can play. Like, I can tell you one thing about contest prep is that, like, the more information you have going into it, the better. Flying blind through a contest prep will, like, actually make you feel like you're a crazy person. You're like, oh, my God, this is forever. This is who I am now, and I don't like it. 
So having like a good qualified coach to talk you through it, this is just part of it. It'll be over in a couple of weeks. This is what we have to go through. Like that can be really, really helpful. So for all your contest prep needs, come on down to giftedperformance.com and we will set you up better than you ever could be. How do we feel about that question? Did we crush it? I think so. I would say so, yeah. That one's a very broad one. That one can go on. I swear we can go on with that one forever. Like, you can take it from an emotional standpoint, a logic, like you said, impulsivity. I guess that kind of goes in there. I think this one will be a little bit quicker. We're going to talk some numbers on this one. So a question from (laughs) at Sarah Jean. Sarah Jean, I apologize in advance for this one. Schaefrich. That's my best... I think Schaefrich sounds good. Schaefrich? Schaefrich. 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 Yeah. Ah, okay. Frick at the end. Schaefrich. All right. If we if we mess it up, please spell it out phonetically in the comments so we never mess it up again. Um, Sarah asks how to mentally cope with bloating or period-related weight gain. So cycle-related weight gain. How to mentally cope with it. I don't know if it's like mentally coping. But if you track your period, it is very, very helpful because when you don't track it and you wake up one morning and you're like, I have no abs, where did they go? I also weigh six pounds more. And you like have no idea on the timeline where you're at. You're just like, all right, well, I screwed up my diet. I'm not training hard enough. But you open your phone and it's like, okay, like you're three days out from getting your period. And you're like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Like I can kind of like push these thoughts, these horrible thoughts about myself off to the side because I just got to blame it on biology. Tell my coach, hey, training's going to be ass in three days. Like, I'm just letting you know. And then all is fine and dandy after that. That's what's helped me, I think, lately the most. But. Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing. So, like, um, I found that, like, tracking what phase you are in with your cycle helps a ton. And then it, like it eases your mind too. So like, if you're like a week out from getting your period and you start to notice like the scales creeping up day by day, you're getting more fatigued, your lifts aren't where they were before. Um, even like from like a mental point of view, you start to realize that you're being a little bit more like self-critical and more negative towards things. Um, when you're tracking, you know, your period and you know that it's like it's coming up within the next few days it kind of like eases your mind and you can be a little less self-critical and it makes more sense of like why your body's making the changes that it's making and just helps you know that like you're not necessarily doing anything wrong just because like you know your lifts aren't what they were or like your energy level isn't there or you're gaining weight um it's not necessarily you're doing something wrong. It's more so just like your body is going through its natural cycle of starting a period. And that's just what comes along with it. And I think like finding the, it, it took me a long time to be like comfortable, like talking about stuff like this, even when I was like younger, I don't know why, but like, I even like talking with girlfriends, I was like very uncomfortable, but having a coach that you are comfortable telling because most coaches actually I don't really know I've only had one coach my whole life which is Ryan but like being comfortable enough to tell them helps them help you so like if you like even to the point where like and like sorry to Thomas about this but I'll be like hey next week of training bad bad it's gonna be bad like I'm just letting you know now like like running out out can't do running like 
And unfortunately, all of the other things that you have scheduled, like maybe move them to next week and we'll do something easier this week. Um, and they're usually pretty receptive to it. No one like says, haha, like that sucks to be you or anything like that. Yeah. But the more you feel comfortable letting other people know, the better, because then it also doesn't look like you're doing something sneaky behind their back when you all right. weigh six pounds more, which happens a lot. No yeah, like having that communication. Yep. Yeah. I also think it's important to like have a coach that um, understands that too. Um, Cause I've had females that I, I would start working with and they would be like um, in like a check-in they'll say like, listen, like I'm about to start my period. Um, the scale's up a little bit. I'm noticing this, this, and this. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to know that. Like I've had coaches in the past that never even brought it up. So I just wanted to see if this is something that we should talk about. And it's like, to me, that kind of blows my mind that like, especially like being a female, like that's like one of the first things when I start working with someone or even just like talking to like friends and whatnot, when we're just having conversation, if it revolves around um, like progress and stuff, like our cycles is something that like, is like one of the first things that are talked about and mentioned because it is so um, important. Like a dick. Yeah. Like it dictates a lot in like your progress because you deal with it every single month. And they're also like, when you're when you are a coach if I mean it's I know you have a lot of clients but if you are kind of like clued into their cycle you can kind of start programming around it or like helping them program around it like take some bigger lifts this week take it easy this week stuff like that and it kind of makes them feel more comfortable like okay well she's saying like I can take it easy on this like for this week because like I don't feel so great like my coach says it so it's true like kind of gives them like a secondary like okay I feel comfortable doing this. Yeah, a little like reassurance because like I'll even share my own like with my clients, like I share my personal experiences and stuff like that, Um, you know, when it comes to training and like how I have to make changes with my stuff too because it's like I go through it too. Like it's not like I just don't have a period and I don't (laughs) deal with what these other girls are dealing with. Um, So it's like I get it. I totally get it. and yeah, it, it definitely is something that you need to be honest. You know, track. Yeah. Yeah. Beep boop, so. just bot, no half period. No, that's you know not- what? It's crazy. Like, it's what's crazy is I've actually gone through phases where like my period goes away because I've like dieted or I've been in such a caloric deficit or I have so much stress going on. Um, and that's like a whole other thing because I'll have like, you know, females that come to me and say like, Hey, like I haven't had my period in like the last two months, like, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, that's also an indicator that there might be something going on that you might have to start, um, changing. Like if you have it, like if you're not on birth control, cause I've seen birth control take away periods too. Like if you're not on birth control and you're in a, like you're in a caloric deficit, you're training a certain way, you haven't had a period and like, quite some time or it's like very irregular like that's kind of your body telling you that there's something that might need to change a little bit so So your clients like having blood work done for stuff like that um yeah like modifications and go out from there it depends like i've had some clients that get blood work done um but then it's also like when I hear, usually it's when I get the clients that come to me that are, I've already been in a caloric, a caloric deficit for a long time. Um, and then they kind of like, once I get to know them and the relationships built, they open up a little bit more like, oh, I haven't had a period in 
however long. And then to me, I'm like, okay, well, let's take a look at your activity level. How intense are your training sessions? What type of training are you doing? How much of a, um, you know, caloric uh, deficit have you been in? What kind of like stress are you putting yourself uh, through in that regard? Because I think a lot of people don't realize like you can have mental stress. You can also have the stress of being in a diet the stress of like overtraining, like all of it is like pieces to the puzzle. Right. So, um, we kind of take it one step at a time and I kind of almost like work backwards and think about like, okay, well, how much stress are you putting on your body and what aspects? And let's see if we can start easing up on certain things and see if we can get some things kind of getting back into a, like a flow. Hey, I see what you did there. Yeah, you got it. You picked up on it. All right. Sorry, Siri was harassing me there for a second when I said, I see what you did there. She thought I was talking to her. Um, all right. couple things that I would like to add to see if they are thought provoking on your guys' end. Number one, if this is a topic that interests you quite a bit, uh, probably the number one resource that I've come across would be Lyle McDonald's women's book. And it's just literally called the women's book. Um, so I would definitely recommend, I mean, that is the deepest dive that you can get into what to expect around the menstrual cycle, what effect different kinds and different generations of birth control will have effect uh, or what, what kind of effect they'll have on your body, on your cycle, et cetera, how to train around your cycle and nutrition around your cycle. Not only what's gonna be the best nutrition, but what to expect from a coach's perspective, nutritionally from women as they go through both the luteal and the follicular phase. Um, some other things from a coaching aspect that I like to get right out there on the forefront when I establish a coaching relationship um, with my women clients um, is I like to, in our first call, I like to tell them there's no such thing as TMI but I absolutely will yell at you for TLI or too little information. And I specifically state, I wanna know the ins and outs of your cycle, when you think it's coming, when it arrives, when it's gone, et cetera. And number two, my favorite topic in the world, number two, your poops. So I always tell them, because I always end on poops. They're like, oh no, he wants to know about my cycle and they stress out and then I pull them back in with the poops. Like, I want to know about all your poops as well. Then they laugh and they're like, okay, you know, I can tell them whatever I want to tell them. The second piece that I like to give them is like a rough estimation of how much weight to expect to gain when they are, when they do get their cycle. Depending on the women, that weight range can start with 1% all the way up to roughly 5 or 6% of their body weight gained. Uh, depending on, you know, some different factors around their cycle. And I like to lay them out in numbers for them. That means if you are a 120 pound female that you can expect 1.2 all the way up to 7.2 pounds of weight gain. So if your weight fluxes seven pounds, I'm not worried if you're not worried. So we always kind of come back to that same page there of just like as much information and preparation as you can get out there they're only going to think it's a catastrophe if you think it's a catastrophe. So if you get out in front of it and say, listen, this is what I'm expecting on the front end. When it happens, you look like a wizard. They're not worried because they knew that you were expecting it. The situation resolves itself. How do you feel That's about like my diatribe. pulling back? Like if you have like 
some women, including myself, get like horrible, horrible menstrual cramps. Like, how do you feel about like pulling back training when they talk about it? Or like, do you ever ask them like, hey, is this a week that you can train at all? Or Yeah, so I just kind of set the bounds of like, I, I, I kind of reframe it as like, training is more steered by intent than it is absolute performances. So let's say you get your cycle and you're going into the hardest week of your training program, which is like your one RIR week. Your one RIR efforts might be lower, like you might get only eight reps when you got nine reps last week. But if the intent and the effort are there to where you still perceive that you are training one rep shy of failure, the stimulus that you're sending to the muscle is still sufficient to create progress. So on absolute terms, you may not be outperforming the previous week, but in relative terms for that week, you're still putting in a level of relative effort that is sufficient to continue progressing. I think you will really get caught up in those absolutes. You know, I got my cycle, I feel like shit, two reps down across the board, I'm taking a step back. I said, well, was it one rep short of failure? Yeah. Well, then you're still progressing. That relative stimulus that's being provided to the muscle is still enough moving forward. Do you feel like most women are receptive to that? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think reframing it that way works like well. Women versus men, they like to see like the progress in the gym by numbers almost more than the men do. And I feel like that could kind of play like a a bad mental health role. I can like see where you're saying, but yeah, I, th I think it should practice that then. I think if we're looking at the objective versus subjective progress, there's so much individual difference from one client to the next that it's hard to draw lines based on gender. I have women who don't give a shit about their performance in the gym. As long as they're feeling better, looking better, it doesn't matter how they're doing. And then I have others that are super obsessed with the numbers, seated, need to see those numbers um, going up across the board. I actually see the objective subjective divide um, more so correlate with previous athletic history. So women who grew up being athletes, they love the objective number-based stuff, especially if they're coming from a sport that was very stopwatch-based. If it's, you know, basketball, soccer, track, things like that, where there's literally numbers to track, they've had number obsession ingrained in their head from age eight all the way up. I feel like you can throw gymnastics into that one too because of how there's like, a scoring element. It, the score is and like how much yeah. you base your life around your scores on events. But as sports become more subjective, diving, gymnastics, dance, the more like subjective, the athlete themselves as they progress through life tend to focus more on those subject elements of, you know, life in general more so than the objective. The all like athletic folks you throw them into like business or finance or like marketing where there's like some numbers that they can latch on to and metrics that they can progress over time and they do great you put them in like, where, like you tell them so much. yeah Probably. you tell them 
you tell them to like make a painting or like write a poem where it's super subjective and like the wheels fall off. Their brains don't work anymore. Like, well, I thought this was good. Fuck you for not thinking it was good. It was good. I followed all the rules of writing a poem. I don't care if you like my poem or not. What are the people who fall in the middle of that? Um, I don't know, but they're weird and we should put them all on an island and seclude them away from society. Okay. I feel like I can get with both sides of that. I can nope. paint. Like Life is a black and white cookie. You're either on one side or the other. There's no gray area. There's no nuance. And I will not entertain anything to the contrary. Okay. Well, I feel like we, that was like a really good question that was supposed to be short and it wasn't, but. Yeah, it was <laughs> not at all. Yeah, we're this coming up on our hour long mark here. Broad- so, ladies, is there anything you want to leave the people with before we I send this thing off? question, did we? Yeah, that one's going to take us a while. So, Ashley D, we're coming for you on the next episode. Just know that we're getting your next question. Um, but we don't want to take too long from the people. Guys, what do you want to leave them with? Any DM us questions. Make sure they're very specific. Or we spend an hour and seven minutes and 24 seconds talking about three questions. <laughs> yeah, but we crushed those three questions. I agree. I feel like these ones had more um, substance than the last ones. Yeah, we dropped a lot bone. of nuggets today. Yeah. A lot of nuggets. Those are like a whole ribs. lot of nuggets. That was ribs. Yeah, that wasn't nuggets. I started eating ribs and then she went with nuggets. So I was going meat on the bone. She was going yeah. nuggets. So nuggets. you get what you get. All right, guys. That's going to wrap us up for the day. We will see you on the next one. As always, you know, like, comment, subscribe, notification bell, send it to your friends. Leave this on your TV. When you go to work, just leave it on your TV. Your dog wants to listen to us, and we take advantage of those views. Make sure you hit that thumbs up. Do all the algorithm things, because we're going to see you on the next one, and it's going to be on your homepage, and you're like, holy crap, 10. 10 million views these guys blew up so quick how did they get so famous and it was because of you why because you're gifted and because we love you see ya